Okay, we are gonna go over the fundamental concepts of genetics and evolution. So, the physical and biochemical characteristics of every living organism are determined by genes, which are DNA sequences that code for heritable traits that can be passed from one generation to the next. All genes are organized into chromosomes to ensure that genetic material is passed easily to daughter cells during mitosis and meiosis. Each gene may have alternative forms called alleles, and the genetic con combination possessed by an individual is known as a genotype, and the manifestation of a given genotype as an observable trait is known as a phenotype. Each human possesses two copies of each chromosome called homologs, except for male sex chromosomes in which there is one X and one Y. Each gene has a particular locus or location on a specific chromosome. The normal locus of a particular gene is consistent on a specific chromosome, and the normal Oh my gosh, sorry. The normal locus of a particular gene is consistent among human beings, and a gene can be described by its location. So because each chromosome is part of a homologous pair, a person will inherit two alleles for all genes. Alleles can be categorized based on their expression. If only one copy of an allele is needed to express a given phenotype, the allele is said to be dominant and is usually represented with a capital letter. If two copies are needed, the allele is said to be recessive and usually represented with a lowercase letter. And if both alleles are at the same for a given gene, the individual is homozygous, and if the alleles are different, then they are heterozygous. And the hemizygous describe a situation in which one, only one allele is present for a given gene, like for the parts of the X chromosome in, in males. When only one dominant and one recessive allele exists for a given gene, there is said to be complete dominance. The presence of one dominant allele will mask the recessive allele. And when more than one dominant allele exists for a given gene, there is codominance. So... Incomplete dominance occurs when a heterozygote expresses a phenotype that is intermediate between the two homozygous genotypes. Uh, so incomplete dominance is the mating of certain flowers in which a red flower is crossed with a white flower and results in pink, whereas codominance is like red and white flower crossed and both colors show up. Penetrance is a population measure defined as the proportion of individuals in the population carrying the allele who actually express the phenotype. So it's the probability that given a particular genotype, a person will express the phenotype. Alleles can be classified by their degree of penetrance, so Huntington's disease caused by an expansion of a repetitive sequence in the Huntington gene is a classic example. Individuals with more than <laughs> sorry. Individuals with more than 40 sequence repeats have full penetrance. 100% of individuals with this allele show symptoms of Huntington's, and individuals with fewer sequence repeats show high penetrance, wherein most or but not all of those with the allele show symptoms of the disease. And with fewer sequence repeats, the gene comes to have reduced penetrance, low penetrance, or even non-penetrance. And then expressivity is defined as varying phenotypes despite identical genotypes. If excessivity is constant, then all individuals with a given genotype express the same phenotype, but if it's variable, the individuals with the same genotype may have different phenotypes. So penetrance is a population parameter. Expressivity reflects the gray area in expression and is more commonly considered at the individual level. Uh, so now we'll talk about Mendelian concepts. So there are four basic tenets of the modern interpretation of Mendel's first law of segregation. So genes exist in alternative forms or alleles. An organism has two alleles for each gene, one inherited from each parent. If the two alleles segregate during meiosis, they result in gametes that carry only one allele for any inherited trait. If two alleles of an organism are different, only one will be fully expressed and the other will be silent. The expressed allele is said to be dominant while the silent allele is recessive. Uh, and then codominance and like incomplete dominance are expressions to this rule. So, uh, Mendel's second law of independent assortment states that the inheritance of one gene does not affect the inheritance of another gene. So, 
for example, spermatogonia and oogonia undergo genome replication before meiosis 1. The daughter DNA strand is held to the parent strand at the centromere. Together, these DNA strands are known as sister chromatids, and during prophase 1 of meiosis, homologous chromosomes pair up to form tetrads, which derive their name from the four chromatids involved. Two chromatids in each of two homologous chromosomes. Small segments of genetic material are swapped between chromatids and homologous chromosomes, resulting in novel combinations of alleles that were not present in the original chromosomes or recombination. This allows the inheritance of one gene to be independent of the inheritance of all others. Um, linked genes make this a little bit complicated, uh, and then both segregation of homologous chromosomes and independent assortment of alleles increase genetic diversity of gametes and the genetic diversity of offspring. And this helps them adapt to and evolve for environmental stresses. So um, Mendel didn't know that DNA was a genetic material transferred to offspring and that genes were made of DNA. So uh, Frederick, Frederick Griffith was the one who uh, exposed mice to strains of bacteria under different conditions and observed whether the mice lived or died. And basically theorized that the live non-virulent bacteria must have acquired the ability to form smooth capsules from the dead virulent bacteria and this was known as the transforming principle. So, uh, researchers confirmed this at the Rockefeller Institute. So they purified a lot of uh, heat-killed virulent pneumonia bacteria and separated the subcellular components of the bacteria into different extracts. And basically, um, the group concluded that the transforming substance must be DNA. And then um, Hershey and Chase looked at the idea that DNA could independently carry genetic information. They looked at bacteriophages with radio-labeled DNA and protein. And uh, it was determined that while no radio-labeled protein entered the cells, radio-labeled DNA had, and it was known that viruses must enter a cell to cause disease and replicate, so the experiment helped confirm that DNA was the heritable genetic material. So then we'll talk about the gene pool. So all the alleles that exist within a species are known as a gene pool. A gene pool. Um, when there are mutations or genetic leakage, there are new genes introduced, and genetic variability is essential for the survival of a species. So mutation is a change in DNA sequence. It results in a mutant allele. It can be contrasted with their wild-type counterparts, which are alleles that are considered normal or natural, and they're ubiquitous in the study population. They may be introduced in a variety of ways, so ionizing radiation, uh, chemical exposures, substances that basically cause mutations are called mutagens. Uh, DNA polymerase is subject to making mistakes during DNA replication, and although it's a very low rate, uh, proofreading mechanisms help prevent mutations from occurring. Elements known as transposons can insert and remove themselves from the genome, so if a transposon inserts in the middle of a coding sequence, the mutation will disrupt, disrupt the gene. Odd proteins can arise in other ways without an underlying change in DNA sequence, so um, incorrect pairing of nucleotides during transcription or translation, or a tRNA molecule charged with the incorrect amino acid for its anticodon can result in derangements of the normal amino acid sequence. So we have nucleotide level mutations. So point mutations occur when one nucleotide is swapped for another. These can be subcategorized as silent missense or nonsense. Silent occur when the change in the nucleotide has no effect on the final protein synthesized from the gene. It occurs when the changed nucleotide is transcribed to the third nucleotide in a codon because there is degeneracy or wobble in the genetic code. Missense mutations occur when the change in nucleotide results in substituting one amino acid for another in the final protein. And nonsense mutations occur when the change in nucleotide results in substituting a swap codon for an amino acid in the final protein. Frame shift mutations occur when nucleotides are inserted into or deleted from the genome. And because mRNA transcribed from DNA is always read in three-letter sequences called codons, insertion or deletion of nucleotides can shift the reading frame 
resulting in either changes in the amino acid sequence or premature truncation of the protein due to generation of a non-sense mutation. And these are subcategorized as insertion or deletion mutations. Chromosomal mutations uh, are larger scale mutations in which large segments of DNA are affected. Deletion mutations occur when a large segment of DNA is lost from a chromosome. Small deletion mutations are considered frameshift mutations as described previously. Uh, duplication mutations occur when a segment of DNA is copied multiple times in the genome. Inversion mutations occur when a segment of DNA is reversed within the chromosome. And insertion mutations occur when a segment of DNA is moved from one chromosome to another. So small insertion mutations, including those where the inserted DNA is not from another chromosome, are considered frameshift mutations. And then finally, there are translocation mutations when a segment of DNA from one chromosome is swapped with a segment of DNA from another. Mutations can have many different consequences, so they can be advantageous and they confer a positive selective advantage that may allow the organism to produce fitter offspring, or they can be detrimental or deleterious. Uh, and then one important class of deleterious mutations is the inborn errors of metabolism. So these are defects and genes required for metabolism. Children born with these uh, require early intervention in order to prevent permanent damage from the buildup of metabolites in various pathways. And then genetic leakage is a flow of genes between species. So in some cases, individuals from different but closely related species can mate to produce hybrid offspring. And many hybrid offspring are not able to reproduce because they have odd numbers of chromosomes. And they can't undergo normal homologous pairing in meiosis and they can't form gametes. Um, but sometimes a hybrid can reproduce with members of one species or the other. And they carry genes from both parent species so they can result in a net flow of genes from one species to the other. Genetic drift refers to changes in the composition of the gene pool due to chance, and it tends to be more pronounced in small populations. The founder effect is a more extreme case of genetic drift, in which a small population of a species finds itself in reproductive isolation from other populations as a result of natural barriers, catastrophic events, or other bottlenecks that drastically and suddenly reduce the size of the population available for breeding. And because the breeding group is small, inbreeding or mating between two genetically related individuals may occur in later generations, and it encourages homozygosity, which increases the prevalence of both homozygous dominant and recessive genotypes. So all three of these cause a reduction in genetic diversity, and it's why a small population may have increased prevalence of certain traits and diseases. Uh, and then the loss of genetic variation may cause reduced fitness of the population. So this is known as inbreeding depression. And on the opposite end, there's outbreeding or outcrossing, which is the introduction of unrelated individuals into a breeding group, which could result the, which could result in increased variation within a gene pool and increased fitness of the population. So then we'll look at the analytical approaches in genetics. So there's a number of biometric techniques or quantitative approaches to biological data. Um, so the Punnett squares are diagrams that predict the relative genotypic and phenotypic frequencies that will result uh, from crossing two individuals. The alleles of the two parents are on the top end of the side of the square with the genotypes of the progeny represented at the intersections of these alleles. And the genotypes of the progeny will be the product of the two parental alleles. So uh, dominant are capital and recessive are lowercase. If both copies of the allele are the same, this is homozygous, if they're different, heterozygous. So a cross in which only one trait is being studied is monohybrid, so the parent or P generation is the individuals being crossed and the offspring or the filial or F generation. So multiple generations can be noted F generations by using numerical subscripts. Um, Mendel looked at pea plants with purple or white flowers and before crossing them, each group had homozygotes and subsequent exp experimentation revealed that the allele for purple color was dominant and the allele for white color was recessive. So crossing homozygous purple with a white flower would be crossing capital PP with lowercase pp, resulting in an F1 generation that would contain 100% capital P, lowercase p, or heterozygous. And they were all purple because it was the dominant allele. And then if you cross two members of the F1 generation, the resulting 
offspring in the F2 generation would be more genotypically and phenotypically diverse. So there would be 25% capital PP. Oh no. Okay. I'm really sorry. I just sneezed and I turned off that beeping noise that you were hearing in the back. Um, but basically the ratios, um, so when you cross two heterozygotes in a case of complete dominance, you'll get a one to two to one distribution of phenotypes. Homozygous dominant, heterozygous dominant, and homozygous recessive. And a three to one distribution of phenotypes, which is dominant to recessive. And these are theoretical, they don't always hold true. Um, so the more offering offspring parents have, the closer their phenotypes ratios will be to the expected. A test cross is used to determine an unknown genotype. So the organism with an unknown genotype is crossed with an organism known to be homozygous recessive. If all the offspring 100% are dominant, then the unknown genotype is likely to be homozygous dominant. If there's one-to-one -one distribution of dominant to recessive, then the unknown genotype is likely to be heterozygous. And because a test cross is used to determine the genotype of the parent based on the phenotypes of its offspring, they are sometimes called back crosses. We can extend the Punnett square to account for the inheritance of two different genes using a dihybrid cross. So um, according to Mendel's second law of independent assortment, the inheritance of one gene is independent of the inheritance of the other. So this will hold true for unlinked genes, um, but it'll get more complicated when we talk about linked genes. So if we made a four by four Punnett square, um, if we cross two plants that are heterozygous for both traits, then the offspring will have a phenotypic ratio of nine to three to three to one. So nine um, tall and purple, three tall and white, three dwarf and purple, and one dwarf and white. So the three to one phenotypic ratio still holds for each trait. When we consider sex-linked or X-linked traits, a slightly different system is used to, to symbolize the various alleles because females have two X chromosomes and are homozygous or heterozygous for a condition secured on the X chromosome. Males have only one and they have one Y chromosome, so they're homozygous for many genes, and that's why sex-linked traits are more common in males. Having only one recessive allele is pretty sufficient for the expression for the recessive phenotype. Or it is. It's not pretty. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Um, so... X and Y are the uh, notation for normal chromosomes. An X chromosome with a defective allele is commonly given a subscript to indicate the presence of the disease-carrying allele, and hemophilia is a particularly common example of a sex-linked trait, so Punnett squares for a heterozygote or carrier female, and both a normal male and the affected hemophiliac male are um, can be shown what I'm looking at, but you can't see that. So... Genes are organized in a linear fashion on chromosomes. Uh, crossing over during prophase 1 of meiosis causes alleles to be swapped between homologous chromosomes, which supports Mendel's second law of independent assortment, but genes that are located very close together on a chromosome are less likely to be separated from each other during crossing over. So the further apart two genes are, the more likely it is that they will be a point of crossing over called the chiasma between them. The likelihood that two alleles are separated from each other during crossing over, called the recombination frequency, or theta, is roughly proportional to the distance between the genes on the chromosome. So we can describe the strength of linkage between genes based on the recombination frequency. Highly linked genes have recombination frequencies close to 0%, and weakly linked are um, approaching 50, as expected from independent assortment. So we can make a genetic map representing the relative distance between genes on a chromosome. And one map unit, or centimorgan, is a 1% chance of recombination occurring between two genes. So if two genes were 25 map units apart, we would expect 25% of the total gametes examined to show recombination somewhere between these two genes. Uh, so when we look at how often allele appears in a population, this is its allele frequency. So uh, a 
evolution results from changes in these gene frequencies in reproducing populations over time, and when the gene frequencies of population are not changing, the gene pool is stable and evolution is not occurring. So the five criteria are mandatory for this to be possible. So population is very large, no, geni no genetic drift. There's no mutations that affect the gene pool. Mating between individuals in the population is random, so there's no sexual selection. There's no migration of individuals into or out of the population. And the genes in the population are all equally successful at being reproduced. So provided that all of these are met, the population is in Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium and a pair of equations can be used to predict the allelic and phenotypic frequencies. So um, if we have two possible alleles, capital T and lowercase t, P is the frequency of dominant and Q is the frequency of recessive. And because these are the only two choices at the same gene locus, P plus Q equals 1. And if we square both sides, we'll get p squared plus 2pq plus q squared equals 1, where p squared is the frequency of homozygous dominant, 2pq is the frequency of heterozygous dominant, and q squared is homozygous recessive frequency. So p squared plus 2pq is the frequency of the dominant phenotype. And basically, um, each equation tells us different information. So p plus q equals 1 tells us about the frequency of alleles in the population. And p squared plus 2pq plus q squared equals 1 is providing information about the frequency of genotypes and phenotypes in the population. So we can also use these to demonstrate that evolution is not occurring. So if the conditions are met, the allele frequencies will remain constant from generation to generation. And the allele frequencies should be unchanged compared to the parent generation. And yeah. Uh, then we can talk about evolution. So natural selection or survival of the fittest is a theory that certain characteristics or traits possessed by individuals within a species may help those individuals have greater reproductive success. So you're passing on those traits to offspring. Um, there are several basic tenets to this theory. So organisms produce offspring, few of which survive to reproductive maturity. Chance variations within individuals in a population may be heritable. If these variations give an organism even a slight survival advantage, the variation is termed favorable. Individuals with a greater preponderance of these favorable variations are more likely to survive to reproductive age and produce offspring. The overall result will be an increase in these traits in future generations. This level of reproductive success is termed fitness, and an organism's fitness is directly related to the, directly related to the relative genetic contribution of this individual to the next generation. The modern synthesis model, sometimes called neo-Darwinism, adds knowledge of genetic inheritance and changes in the gene pool to this theory. So, once people showed that the inheritance occurs through the passing of genes from parent to child and that genes ultimately change due to mutation or recombination, Darwin's theory was updated to its current form. When mutation or recombination results in a change that is favorable to the organism's reproductive success, that change is more likely to pass on to the next generation. So this process is termed differential reproduction. Over time, those traits passed on by the more successful organisms will become ubiquitous in the gene pool, and because the gene pool changes over time, populations evolve and not individuals. Um, also, there's a shift in scope to focus on inclusive fitness over the fitness of an individual organism. So inclusive fitness is a measure of an organism's success in the population based on the number of offspring, success in supporting offspring, and the ability of the offspring to then support others. Um, so our final theory to consider was proposed as a result of research into the fossil records. So it was determined that little evolution would occur within a lineage of related life forms for long periods of time. So this is the theory of punctuated equilibrium. So um, there's a, an explosion in evolutionary change after long periods of time. So changes in some species occur in rapid bursts rather than evenly over time. So there's different modes of natural selection. So there can be stabilizing selection, which keeps phenotypes within a specific range by selecting against extremes. Um, and 
Adaptive pressure can lead to the emergence and dominance of initially extreme phenotype through directional selection. Uh, in disruptive selection, there are two extreme phenotypes that are selected over the norm. Uh, disruptive selection is facilitated by the existence of polymorphisms, which are naturally occurring differences in form between members of the same population, like light and dark coloration in the same species of butterfly. An adaptive radiation is a related concept that describes the rapid rise of a number of different species from a common ancestors. The benefit of adaptive radiation is that it allows for various species to occupy different niches in a niche-specific environment, including a habitat, available resources, and predators for which a species is specifically adapted to. And it's, excuse me, it's favored by environmental changes or isolation of small groups of the ancestral species. So a species is defined as the largest group of organisms capable of breeding to form fertile offspring. The formation of a new species through evolution is called speciation. If we took two populations from the same species and separated them geographically for a long period of time, different evolutionary pressures would lead to different adaptive changes. If enough time passed, the changes would be sufficient to lead to isolation, which means the progeny of these populations would no longer really interbreed. Reproduction isolation may occur either prezygotically or postzygotically. So prezygotic mechanisms prevent formation of the zygote completely, and postzygotic mechanisms allow for gamete fusion but yield either non-viable or sterile offspring. So examples of prezygotic mechanisms include temporal isolation, so breeding at different times, ecological isolation, so living in different niches within the same territory, behavioral isolation, so a lack of attraction between members of the two species due to differences in pheromones, courtship displays, and so on. Reproductive isolation, incompatibility of reproductive anatomy, or gametic isolation, so intercourse can occur but fertilization cannot. And then postzygotic mechanisms include hybrid inviability, so formation of a zygote that cannot develop the term, hybrid sterility, forming hybrid offspring that cannot reproduce, and hybrid breakdown, so forming first generation hybrid offspring that are viable and fertile, but second generation hybrid offspring that are inviable or infertile. So when we look at similarities between two species, we have to look at whether they're due to sharing a common ancestor or sharing a common environment with the same evolutionary pressures. So there's three patterns of evolution. Divergent evolution refers to the independent development of dissimilar characteristics in two or more lineages sharing a common ancestors. Um, the two species live in very different environments and they adapt to different selection pressures while evolving. There's parallel evolution, so the process whereby related species evolve in similar ways for a long period of time in response to analogous environmental selection pressures. And then convergent evolution, which refers to the independent development of similar characteristics in two or more lineages not sharing a recent common ancestor. So evolution is a pretty slow process, and it features changes in the environment and subsequent changes in genotypes and phenotypes of a population over time. The rate of evolution is measured by the rate of change of a genotype over a period of time, and it's related to the severity of the evolutionary pr pressures on the species. So, if a species is already perfectly suited to its habitat and there is no changes to the conditions in which it lives, the rate of evolution will be exceedingly slow, although there will still be some small base rate of genetic mutation. But if an organism lives in a rapidly changing environment, the rate of evolution will be greater as selection for and against certain traits will be actively occurring within that population. So, if you compare DNA sequences between different species, you can quantify the degree of similarity. Um, molecular evolutionists correlate the degree of genomic similarity, similarity with the amount of time since two species split off from the same common ancestor. The more similar the genomes, the more recently the two species separated from each other, and this is sometimes called the molecular clock model. So now we'll get into our concept summary. So chromosomes contain genes in a linear sequence. Alleles are alternative forms of a gene, dominant being one copy needed to, express, to be expressed, and the recessive requires two copies to be expressed. A genotype is the combination of alleles one has at a given genetic locus. Having two of the same allele is termed homozygous. Having two different alleles is termed heterozygous. And having only one allele is termed hemozygous, like in male sex chromosomes. 
and a phenotype is the observable manifestation of a genotype. There's different patterns of dominance, so complete dominance when the effect of one allele completely masks the effect of another. Codominance has more than one dominant allele. Incomplete dominance has no dominant alleles, and heterozygotes have intermediate phenotypes. Penetrance is the proportion of a population with a given phenotype who express the phenotype. Expressivity refers to the varying phenotypic manifestations of a given genotype. The modern interpretations of Mendel's laws ex help explain the inheritance of genes from parent to offspring. Mendel's first law of segregation states that an organism has two alleles for each gene which segregate during meiosis, resulting in gametes carrying only one allele for a trait. Mendel's second law of independent assortment states that the inheritance of one allele does not influence the probability of inheriting an allele for a different trait. Support for DNA as genetic material came through a number of experiments. The Griffith experiment demonstrated that transforming principle, which is converting non-virulent live bacteria into virulent bacteria by exposure to a heat-killed virulent bacteria. The Avery-MacLeod-McCarty experiment demonstrated that DNA is a genetic material because degradation of DNA led to a cessation of bacterial transformation. And the Hershey-Chase experiment confirmed that DNA is a genetic material because only radio-labeled DNA can be found in bacteriophage-infected bacteria. All of the alleles in a given population constitute the gene pool. Mutations are changes in DNA sequence. Nucleotide mutations include point mutations, so substituting of one nucleotide for another, and frame shift mutations within the three-letter transcriptional reading frame. Silent mutation has no effect on the protein. Missense results in the substitution of one amino acid for another. Nonsense results in the substitution of a stop codon for an amino acid. Insertions and deletions result in a shift in the reading frame, leading to changes for all downstream amino acids. Chromosomal mutations include larger scale mutations affecting whole segments of DNA. Deletion mutations occur when a large segment of DNA is lost. Duplication mutations occur when a segment of DNA is copied multiple times. Inversion mutations occur when a segment of DNA is reversed. Insertion mutations occur when a segment of DNA is moved from one chromosome to another. Translocation mutations occur when a segment of DNA is swapped with a segment of DNA from another chromosome. Genetic leakage is a flow of genes between species through hybrid offspring, and genetic drift occurs when the composition of the gene pool changes as a result of chance. The founder effect results from bottlenecks that suddenly isolate a small population, leading to inbreeding and increased prevalence of certain homozygous genotypes. Punnett squares visually represent the crossing of gametes from parents to show relative genotypic and phenotypic frequencies. The parent generation is represented by P, filial offspring generations are represented by F1, F2, and so on. A monohybrid cross accounts for one gene and dihybrid cross accounts for two. In sex-linked crosses, sex chromosomes are usually used to indicate sex as well as genotypes. The recombination frequency theta is the likelihood of two alleles being separated during crossing over in meiosis. Genetic maps can be made using recombination frequency as the scale in centimorgans. And the Hardy-Weinberg principle states that if a population meets certain criteria aimed at a lack of evolution, then the allele frequencies will remain constant, aka Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium. Natural selection states that chance variations exist between individuals and that, nat that advantageous variant that advantageous variations, those that increase an individual's fitness for survival or adaptation to the environment, afford the most opportunities for reproductive success. The modern synthesis model, or neo-Darwinism, accounts for mutation and recombination as mechanisms of variation and considers differential reproduction to be the mechanism for reproductive success. Inclusive fitness considers an organism's success to be based on the number of offspring, success in supporting offspring, and the ability of the offspring to support others. Survival of offspring or relatives ensures appearance of the genes in subsequent generations. Punctuated equilibrium considers evolution to be a very slow process with intermittent ran rapid bursts of evolutionary activity, and different types of selection leads to changes in phenotypes. So stabilizing selection keeps phenotypes in a narrow range, excluding extremes. Directional selection moves the average phenotype toward one extreme. Disruptive selection moves the population toward two different phenotypes of the extremes and can lead to speciation. And adaptive radiation is the rapid emergence of multiple species from a common ancestor, each of which occupies its own ecological niche. 
A species is the largest group of organisms capable of breeding to form fertile offspring. Species are reproductively isolated from each other by pre- or post-psychotic mechanisms. Two species can evolve with different relationship patterns, so divergent evolution occurs when two species sharing a common ancestor become more different. Parallel evolution occurs when two species sharing a common ancestor evolve in similar ways due to analogous selection pressures. And convergent evolution occurs when two species not sharing a recent ancestor evolve to become more similar due to analogous selection pressures. And finally, according to the molecular clock model, clock model, the degree of difference in the genome between two species is related to the amount of time since the two species broke off from a common ancestor. So we did it. We finished the biology book. Um, our last book is going to be biochemistry. I really don't think I'm going to read the cars book, and I think I'm going to use that as, like, I guess maybe a guideline. But uh, hopefully that will be done by tomorrow for you all. Bye.